I'm super, super, super excited about the message I have to share for you today. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not excited about it because I'm really clever and I've come up with good things to say. I'm excited about it because uh, I just feel God at work in my life as I present this message to you today. I felt Him at work in my life all this week in a very real way. And I, and I want you to hear today what God has, uh, God has for all of us to hear. And so we're continuing our series that we started several weeks ago called Supplement. So if you've got your you got a Bible with you. If you've got a Bible, you can turn on in your phone or your iPad. Go ahead and get to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7 in just a minute. Now, you'll remember as we've talked about this every week that, that we believe here at this church, and we believe just like the folks do at Washington Baptist Church down the street and the folks do over at Springwell and a lot of other churches, Fairview Baptist Church, a lot of churches in our community believe the same thing we believe, and that is that the only way that we can be saved from our sins is through what Jesus did on the cross. We believe that all of us, me included, your sweet old grandmother included, Billy Graham included, whoever you think is wonderful included, that all of us have sinned. We've done things that, that are against the way God would have us live, and the punishment for that sin is death. And, and instead of us having to pay the punishment for that sin, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was born on this earth. He's a perfect man. He was God at the same time. He never, he never committed a sin. And he went to a cross willingly. He was not forced to go to the cross by the Roman government. He went to the cross willingly, and he died. And through his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the grave that happened on Sunday after he was crucified on Friday, that through those things we can be forgiven of sin. And we have to accept that forgiveness. And that's what we believe. And it only comes from Jesus. You cannot be good enough to save yourself. You cannot be smart enough to figure out a way to get out of the punishment of sin. It only comes because of Jesus. And so we believe that. But we also believe that once we have received that forgiveness, once we have become a follower of Jesus Christ, we then have responsibilities. And part of our responsibility is, is to walk in the way of Jesus. It is, to, it is to seek after Him, to understand that He is seeking after us and to give in to that seeking after us that He has for us, for us to give in to that and to follow Him. And part of following Him is doing what we've talked about in Second in Peter 1, 5 through 7. And that is that we supplement our faith that we trust in Jesus to save us, but then we supplement our faith with the good things that he tells us to supplement our faith with. And so supplement means you add to it. You've already got faith. That faith has been given to you by Jesus. The salvation has been given to you by Jesus. And now it is our responsibility then to add good things to that faith that he's already given us. And so what are we supposed to add? Well, look at Second Peter 1, 5 through 7. He says this, For this very reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And we've been talking over the last several weeks about all of those different things. And we've had messages about 
brotherly affection and self-control and, and knowledge and virtue and all those things. Today, there's one left, the very last one in the list that I want us to talk about, and today we're going to talk about love. Now, out of all of the ones, when we talk about love, out of all the ones on, those, on that list, love is the word that's most familiar to us. Love is a word that, that you use. Love is a word that you hear in society. You don't necessarily hear the word virtue a lot. You don't hear the word steadfastness a lot. You never hear brotherly affection used in society, but you hear love. We talk about that. There, just, just take music, for example, which I, you know, lo, music is one of my favorite things. And, and you just in music, there's been so many songs about music. You know, Air Supply from the, the 80s. And I know there's some of you don't want to admit it, but you had an Air Supply cassette when you were in the 80s, and you listened to Lost in Love. Mark Johnson shaking his head like, you daggum, I didn't have no Air Supply. I know he didn't, but most of you did. My wife did. Uh, Lost in Love by Air Supply, or, or, or crazy, love, crazy in Love, or Bleeding Love, California Love. I mean, I could go on and on and on with love songs. Or my favorite, What's Love Got to Do With? Let's just get love out of it all together. We don't even want that in music anymore, right? And so we hear those love songs, and love is a part of everyday conversation. There's, there are TV shows about people falling in love. There's TV shows where it seems like for years all you're wanting is... Are, are Leonard and Penny finally going to get together, right? And, and that's just the whole thing, you know? And, and so it's all about, are these two people finally going to fall in love? And so, so love is all around us. And, and, and here's the thing. In the, the words that we use in the English language, there's one word for love. But we use it a lot of different ways. Like, like last week. I was thinking about last week. Last week, when I was talking to people, I talked about how I love my wife. I talked about how I love my daughters. I also talked about how I love my dog. Uh, and then on Monday, Ben and I went to lunch, and I talked about how I love Five Guys cheeseburgers because there's supposedly a Five Guys opening in Greer sometime, and me and Ben were both talking about how much we love Five Guys cheeseburgers. I love Five Guys cheeseburgers. And so we were talking about that. Now, there's one word. Now, obviously, it has to mean different things to us, doesn't it? Because my love for my wife isn't the same as my love for Five Guys Cheeseburgers. And my love for my daughters is not the same as my love for my dog. But in our language, in, in English, we have one word for love. Now, the Bible, the New Testament part of the Bible, was written in a language called Greek. And, and in the Greek language... There are more than one word for love. There are several words for love. And so they could use different words to indicate what type of love they were talking about. So if they were talking about they had a love for Five Guys Cheeseburgers, they would have chosen a different word than they used to describe the love for their wife. Now, I don't have that opportunity. So in, in, this, in this passage of Scripture that, that Peter has written, when it says there at the end that we are supposed to supplement our faith with brotherly affection and then brotherly affection with love, what is the word there that he's talking about? Where there's this fancy Greek word that if you spell it out in English and if you pronounce it in English, it is called agape. Now, it looks like agape, but it's agape, trust me, um, not because I'm a Greek scholar, but because someone who is a Greek scholar told me, and I believe them, that it's agape. And so when you read in this, this verse, when Peter says we're supposed to supplement our faith with love, he said you're supposed to supplement your faith with agape love. Now, what does that mean? Well, agape is that is the Greek word that describes the type of love that God has for us. 
It's the type of love that God has for his children. And it is a much deeper, more abiding love than I have for Five Guys Cheeseburgers. It's a much deeper, more abiding love than I have for my dog. It is, it is the, the greatest kind of love that there is. Whitney Houston said that learning to love yourself was the greatest love of all. You know, when you're talking about love songs, she didn't know what the heck she was talking about. The greatest love of all is agape love. It's the love that, that God has for us. It was agape love that, that made Jesus go to the cross for us because he has this great, deep, abiding love for you and for me as his children, as human beings. He has a love for us. And so when, when Peter says that we're supposed to, to supplement our faith with agape love, now what does that mean? How are, how are we supposed to do that? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to understand just a little bit how it is that God loves us. If we, if we can understand how it is that God loves us, how we can understand that deeper abiding love, then maybe we can begin to love other people the way he loves us. And so there's, there's two things I want you to know today. I mean, we could talk a lot more than two. There's two things I want you to know today about the love of God. And the first one is this. His love for us is unconditional. His love for us is unconditional. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul wrote this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps... For a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I spent two or three minutes at the beginning of this message telling you what we believe about the cross, what we believe about Jesus. Now, there's a word that people use for that, and that word is the gospel. And we use the word gospel because it means good news. And we believe the fact that Jesus went to the cross to die for people like you and me, people that are sinners, that's good news, so we call that the gospel. The gospel can be summed up in Romans 5, 8. That is the miracle of the gospel. The miracle of the gospel is that God willingly died on a cross for people like you and people like me that did not deserve to have anyone die for us. Paul says there, he says, you know, people will scarcely die for even someone who's righteous. And even if you're good, someone might die for you. But guess what? None of us are righteous. None of us are good. And Jesus died for us anyway. That is the miracle of the gospel. That's the miracle of the story of Jesus, that that he loves us unconditionally. Even though we were sinners, he still died for us. He still loves us. And his love, his unconditional love for us goes on and on and on. See, one of the things that we do is we tend to give and, and withhold love based on actions. We, we love people based on what they do for us. And we don't love people based on what they do to us. Someone does something to me and we don't love them anymore. And it just is a very natural thing for us to do, to cut people off and to no longer love them and to shut them out of our lives because of their actions that they've done to us or for us to love them more because of their actions they've shown to us. But what the kind of love God has for us is that he loves us in spite of our actions. He loves us in spite of the fact that we are sinners. His love for us, for us is unconditional. And so if God gives unconditional love to me, who am I to withhold love from somebody else because of something they've done to me? Why do I get to choose that? But I, but I act like that. 
I think, well, they did this. I'm done with them. And I'll say some things privately to myself that I wouldn't say from this stage about them and move on with my life and feel fine. But God doesn't love me that way. God loves me even though I still struggle with sin. His love for me is unconditional. Now, now, when I talk about loving people unconditionally, I don't want you to, to go out of here hearing something that I'm not saying. So let me, let me preface this with something. What I'm not saying is, I'm not saying that you approve of everything everybody does. Okay? That you can love someone and not approve of the choices they make. And, and so when, when, because what happens, this is what happens. If someone, let's say you and I are friends, because this really should only be a conversation that happens between friends. Uh, but let's say you and I are friends, and there's a level of trust there. We, we, we trust each other. We have a relationship where, where I love you and you love me, and we're one big happy family, and that's the way we are. So that's good. And so um, you're doing something that, that is, is it's anti-Scripture. It's, you're going down a path that, that is not the path God would have you go down. And it's not a matter of, do I think it, or, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. It's obvious what you're doing is not in Scripture. And so we love each other, and we're, we're, we're friends, we're bros, we're tight. And so I come to you, and I say, listen, I love you, you're my brother, I want to tell you that I'm concerned about this choice you're making. Now, nine times out of ten, how are you going to react? Are you going to say, Cliff, my brother, thank you so much. You're right. I'm stupid. No, what are you going to do? Mind your own dang business. That's what you're going to say, something like that. And you're, it's not going to be good. You're going to be angry with me, probably. You're going to be upset with me. And you know what you're going to feel like for a moment? You're going to feel like I don't love you. But I do love you. Even though you are making a ridiculous choice, I love you. And, I, and in fact... I love you enough to tell you about it. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do for someone is to confront their bad behavior, to confront their sin. But you have to have a relationship with them for that to happen. Now, does that mean you don't love them? No. You, you still love them, but, but, and you love them in spite of what's going on. That's the way God loves us. When, when I'm off, wandering off, doing whatever it is that I want, and God confronts me about that by using His Word or by using a friend or by using a message I hear or a song I hear, and I'm confronted with the fact that I'm a sinner, that doesn't mean that He doesn't love me anymore. That means that He still loves me more than ever and He wants me to know what's going on. So when, when I talk about we need to love people the way God loves us, which is unconditionally, that doesn't mean you just pat everybody on the back for what they're doing and say, it's all good, it'll all come out in the wash, don't worry about it. No. I mean that we love them unconditionally despite what's going on and we're willing to confront that if we have that good relationship with them that we can do that. See, and, and there's even times when sometimes you have to separate yourself from someone because they have gone to the point where they have chosen that life and, and you've confronted them and you have, at some point you have to say, I love you, I cannot go down this road that you're walking down, but I still love you. And I'm going to be waiting on the other end of it when I have to pick you up. I'm going to be there, and I'm going to show you how much I love you then. I've had to do that with friends. I've had one friend in particular that he got so far down the road of addiction that I finally had to say, I've done all that I can do for you. And, and we just had to let it end at that. Thank God that he's come out of it on the other end, and I was able to be there for him when he came out of it. But it, it got to a point where I couldn't walk any farther with him. But I never stopped loving him. 
My love for him was unconditional. Not because I'm a great guy, but because God gave me the ability to do that because God has loved me unconditionally. All right, second thing. I talked too much about that one. Let's go to the second one. Second, second thing about God's love for us, this is very similar to the first one, but it, but it, but it has a, a deeper meaning, I think. God's love for us, his love for us endures. His love for us endures. So our love for people comes and goes, not just based on their action, but our love for people comes and goes based on feelings and based on just what's going on in our lives. And, and we'll be separated from one another, and our love for someone will wane. But look at what it says about the love of Christ and, and, and how he loves us. Romans 8, 35 through 39 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, there's nothing that can happen to you outside of your control. There's nothing that you can do, the things that you control, that can stop God from loving you. There's nothing you can do to make Him stop. You can wander as far away as you want. You can be as bad as you want. You can go through bankruptcy. You can go through death. You can go through illness. You can go through all of those kinds of things. And the love of Christ continues. Yesterday, Sherry and I had an opportunity uh, to go to a wedding. And uh, one of the beautiful things about a wedding, if you go to a wedding that's that's done by a pastor that, that really makes the point, and this guy made the point, I loved it, is he made the point that the wedding of a man and a woman coming together is a picture of the love that Jesus has for his people, the love that Jesus has for, for his church. And you know what I love about a wedding when, when I think about the love that Jesus has for us? When they get to the vows. And how many of you are married and you took these vows? You remember these vows for richer and for poorer and in sickness and in health and in good times and in bad times and when she's ugly in the morning because she hasn't put on her make it and when he's fat because he eats all the time and now he's 100 pounds heavier than we were when we got married. Remember all those vows you took? And, and that's what that means because you, when you stand at the altar and take those vows, you're saying our love, my love for you is going to endure no matter what happens. No matter how tough life gets, no matter how fat you get, no matter how ugly you get, no matter how you speak to me, my love for you is going to endure all of that. And, and that's the picture that, that we have of the love that Christ has for us, that his love for us endures. It endures our bad decisions. It endures sickness. It endures bankruptcy. It endures all of those things. His love continues through it all. So when we talk about supplementing our faith with love, how are we supposed to love other people? Well, well, one, of, one thing is, and I think this is the main thing, is that, that love should permeate every area of our lives. Love should permeate every area of our lives. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says this, Let all that you do be done in love. Now, I told you that the Greek, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. You know what the Greek word for all means? It, it means all. It means exactly what it means in English. So what does that mean should be done in love? All that you do? All that you do. Every place you go, everywhere you are, those things should be done in love. 
Now, um, my wife doesn't know I'm about to tell this story, and, and later on she's going to say, why did you tell that story? But uh, when, uh, when I was a um, kid, my dad told me a story about friends of theirs that, they, that he was friends with. My dad was friends with this, this guy, and um, they uh, actually went to college together. And then uh, they actually worked together for many, many years at the bank there in Columbia that they worked at. And early on in their early days of being married, he and his wife didn't have any kids yet, and my mom and dad didn't have any kids yet, and they hung out together and did stuff together all the time. And um, this, this man and his wife, they got, a, they got a pet cat, and I think it was a stray that they took in. Well, this stray uh, was a stupid cat, and, because here's the deal about cats versus dogs. You bring a dog in your house, and it takes you like six months to train it not to pee and poop on the carpet. A cat, generally, you can put out a litter box, put them in it, rub their little feet in there, and it's like they automatically know right where to go after that. This cat was dumb. It did not know that. And so in the first week they had it, the cat peed on the carpet four or five times. Now, let me tell you something about cats if you don't know this. The reason God designed cats to cover up their stuff in the backyard is because it smells way worse than any other animal. Cat urine, it smells way worse than any other urine. I've not done a scientific study of all urines, but, but it smells really, really bad if you've ever smelled it. So this cat peed on their carpet four or five times in the first week they had it. And guess what they could not get out of the carpet? The smell. They, they rented a carpet cleaner. They had a professional guy come in and clean it, and it just it continued to smell. It got so bad, I promise you this is true, it got so bad that one day this friend of my dad's, he came home from work. He had had a terrible week. He was fed up with life, and he came home, and he walked in, and the whole house smelled like cat pee. He went out to his garage. He got some tools, and he started ripping up the carpet right then and there, and he ripped up all the carpet and threw it out in the front yard, and they walked around on the subflooring for two or three weeks until they could buy some carpet because he had had it. He had had it because the smell of that cat had permeated the entire house. That he had peed on that rug and it smelled like, every, that's what it smelled like everywhere. Now, I'm going to go from the ridiculous to the divine right here and tell you that in our lives, when we're dealing with people, they should be able to smell the love on us. That when we enter into a place and when we hang out there for a while, that when we leave, it should smell like the love of Jesus. That, that, that the impact that we've had on the place that we work and the impact that we've had on the place that we live and the place that we go to school, that just by us being there, the way we treat people, the way we manage ourselves, the way we deal with everything, that love should be permeating so much of that that when we walk out of there, they should somebody else should walk in and go, someone who loves Jesus has been in this place because I can smell it. It's everywhere. The love of Jesus has permeated this area. See, one of the things that we do that, that gets in the way of, of us loving people is that, and maybe you don't do this, maybe I'm the only one, but we start thinking about ourselves a lot. Does anybody else struggle with that, thinking about what you need and what you deserve? I do. And we start thinking, well, they shouldn't have done such and such to me. And they were disrespectful, and they were this, and they were that, and they, 
they weren't very loving to me. And so then what do we do? Instead of having an unconditional, enduring love, like the love of God for us, that permeates every area of our life, we begin to withhold love. And we begin to compartmentalize. And we'll come to turn it up and we'll shower love on those little children that turn it up. Jesus loves you. It's so wonderful. And then you get home and you don't speak to your husband or your wife because they did something that set you off. You go to work the next day. and I can't treat the people at my job the way I treat those children when I'm telling them about the love of Jesus because if I do that, I'll be seen as weak and I'll get bypassed for a promotion and I won't be able to climb the ladder and so i got to be a hard nose and i got to not show love and i got to not speak to people and all that kind of stuff. And we compartmentalize our lives sometimes when instead love should be permeating everything. When uh, I, I've shared some of this with you all before. When I was in school, grades 1 through 12, I was not the best student there was. I wasn't the worst, but I certainly was not the best. Um, I heard somebody else say one time that uh, they weren't in the top half of their class, but they made the top half of their class possible. That was me. And, uh, and so when in grades, in grades 1 through 12, I was a B.C. student with the occasional A. I might make an A once a year, but I was generally B's and C's. And, uh, and to me, you know, C was average, and I was like, I'm cool with being average. I'm, I'm all right with that, which was to, kids do not live like that, but that's the way I was. Now, I had the opportunity to go to college, and I got to choose the college that I wanted to go to, and guess what? I got there, and I really liked it. I loved the school. And uh, people there had a positive impact on my life, and, and it was I loved the campus. I loved everything about it. And so I started to want to do a little better in school, so I, I worked harder. And in college, and so we're in, in grades 1 through 12, I was a CB student with the occasional A. In college, I became an AB student with the occasional C. So that was good. Well, then I, I got out of college and, and um, felt like God wanted me to continue my schooling and wanted me to learn more about the Bible and learn about theology and those kinds of things. So I went to seminary. I went to, to New Orleans to seminary. And when I was there, uh, I worked harder than I'd ever worked in my life academically, and there I was an A-B student, and I, I made all mostly A's and some B's, and, and, and it was great. And, and now, now here's the deal. Did that happen because school got easier? Was it, was it seminary was easier than college and college was easier than high school? No, it was actually the exact opposite. College was harder than high school, and seminary was harder than college. But my grades improved. Now, why did my grades improve? And here's the, here's the reason. Because my motivation was different. In grades 1 through 12, I went to school because I had to, because you'd get thrown in jail if you didn't go. And I never really wanted to go, ever. But I did it, and I got done with it. Now, college, I was there because I wanted to be there. I chose the school. I liked it, and so I worked a little harder. Seminary, we had moved a long way away, 12 hours away to go, and I had made a commitment, and dadgummit, I was going to do the best that I could, and my motivation was there. Along the way, my want to changed. When I was in grades 1 through 12, I didn't want to a whole lot. By the time I got to seminary, I wanted to. And that was the only difference was my motivation. Now, when it comes time for us to supplement our faith with love, where does that motivation come from? Where does that want to come from? See, one of the things that I, I pray for my children, I've got two daughters, and, when I, and my prayer for them has changed over the years. When they were young, 
I would spend a lot of time praying that they would do the right things. And I would pray, God, I pray that they will make right decisions, that they will do the right things. And that's an okay thing to pray. But as they've gotten older, I have started to pray, not only that they'll do the right things, but they will want to do the right things. See, when they were younger, they would do the right things because they knew they'd get in trouble if they didn't. Well, there's going to come a day where there's a lot of things that you can do that aren't the right things that God would have us to do, but you'll never get in trouble. You won't get thrown in prison for it. You won't get spanked by someone or get sent to your room, but you can live a whole lifestyle of making terrible choices and really not get in trouble for it. And so my prayer has begun to change, and I pray for my girls now. I want them to want to do the right things. I want them to want to make the right decisions. So where does our want to when it comes to showing people the enduring love of Jesus, where does that want to come from? Well, 1 John 4.19, the Apostle John, he wrote this. We love because he first loved us. See, in my life, the realization that Jesus loved me when I didn't deserve to be loved, that should be the thing that makes me want to love other people. That should be my motivation. Now, I want to I use an example here, and I'm going I'm to go ahead and tell you that when my first draft of the message did not have this example in it. My second, when I went through the second time, it did not have this example in it. I thought of it, but I did not include it in it. Here's why. So I want you to hang with me, okay? Because you thought an example about cat pee was going to get some people riled up. What I'm about to talk to now is really going to get you riled up. Because this, I'm going to use it as an example, something that, that is very that some of you in here are extremely passionate about. In fact, some of you in here are more passionate about this than you are about what happens at church. And so, with your permission, can I use this example? And as I start talking about it, if you're one of those people that's extremely passionate about this, can you just hang with me to the end? And understand that I'm not making fun of, of something that's really important to you, that I'm using it to, to really tell a story and make an example about how we should love other people. Can you hang with me on that? All right, here's the deal. And I never talk about this from this stage because people get so bent out of shape. But there is a football rivalry in this state. All the Clemson fans that know I'm a Gamecock fan right now, your hair on the back of your neck standing up. Just hang with me, all right? But there's a football rivalry in this state. And for some of us, we care a lot about it. I care way too much about it. I wish I didn't, but I do. And I've been a, a South Carolina fan my whole life. I didn't go to school there. Um, I wanted to go to a small school, and, so, and I wanted to go away from home to school. And Columbia was where I grew up, so, so that's why I did that. But I've been a, a Gamecock fan my entire life. Now, for most of my life, um, every November, we went into that game, and I knew, well, we're going to get our tails kicked again. And we did, about 90% of the time. In fact, it was so few and far between the wins were for South Carolina versus Clemson that for years I could name them off and tell you the scores, you know, 1979, 1984, 1987. I could tell you, that was it because in my lifetime, you know, it hardly had ever happened. And, and what I could remember, it just had never happened. And, um, and so one of the other 
parts about this rivalry, which is a terrible thing, is that fans from both sides feel the need that when their team wins, they feel the need, and it's both sides, they feel the need to just get up in the face of the fans of the team that lost. And, and so, so that's just what, you know, happened. That would happen on Sunday at church, which is the worst thing ever. You're coming to church to worship Jesus, and, you know, and it happened Monday at school and all that kind of stuff. Well, thanks to Steve Spurrier, for the last five years, my team has won. Never had happened in my lifetime. Had not won, had not won two in a row since I was like a baby. So I'd never even, I'm a 45-year-old man, and that was up 40 years old before I could ever say, hey, we won this year and we won the next year. It had never happened. Now, here's what I've done in the last five years that we've won. I have made a conscious effort that on Sunday morning and on Monday and whenever I see people, that if you're my, and I have a lot of friends who are Clemson fans. One of my best friends is a Clemson fan. That if the day after, I don't mention the game. My team won, but I don't come up to you and say anything to you about it. And here's why. Because I know what it's like to care so much about a stupid football game and to walk into church and somebody go, in your face, in your face, you know, that kind of thing. I know exactly what that's like. And so because I know what that's like, and again, this is not because I'm some godly, wonderful guy. It's just that I got to the point that I said, you know what? I know how that made me feel. I don't want to do that to anybody else. And so I don't, I don't mention it. In the last five years, I've never stood up on here the Sunday morning afterwards and said, "Woo, go Gamecocks. In fact, I had a friend of mine who the first year after we won, he said, man, I was really proud of you for not saying anything about that on stage today. And I said, well, I just don't think it should be talked about up here. Of course, I'm spending 20 minutes right now doing it. But here's the point. Here's the reason why. Is my motivation for not getting in the face of my friends who are Clemson fans when my team wins is because I know what it feels like to be on the other side of that when my team loses. And my motivation for loving people the way God has loved me should be that I know what it feels like to be a sinner who doesn't deserve the love of God, but I've been given it anyway. See, we love because He first loved us. That there should be something in me that understands I don't deserve the love of God, but I have received it. He has given it to me. I don't deserve to, to, even, to even stand up here and talk about Jesus, much less you know, do all the things that I do. And, and, but for some reason, God has allowed me to do that, and He has loved me even though I was still a sinner. He went to the cross and died for me. And because He loved me, then I should love other people. I understand what it feels like to be a sinner in need of the love of Jesus. And that should motivate me to love other people. That should motivate me more than any sermon I ever hear. That should motivate me more than any song I ever sing. See, we don't love other people because they deserve it, because they don't. We don't love other people because we feel like it, because most of the time we don't. And we don't even love other people because God told us to. He told us who we should do what he, he told us to. But you know why we love other people? 
is because he loved us first. And that's transformed us. And so when we go out into the world, we want to share that with other people. We want to go into a place and we want the love of Christ to permeate our lives and then for that to permeate the life of the people that we're in in relationship with. I'm going to pray here in just a second. Then our band's going to come up and we're going to to do a closing song. Now, I want to invite you to do something with me. I've spent, I don't know how long, probably too long right now, talking to you this morning. And the fact is that there are two groups of people in here right now. And, And you're either a person who needs to accept the unconditional, enduring love of Jesus into your life. That you've never begun a relationship with him. You know about church. Maybe even feel good about church. But you know you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you need to accept that. And then the second group of you that are in here is you know someone who needs the unconditional, enduring love of Jesus. And they need you to be the one to share it with them. So as we sing this morning, this is what I want you to do. The band's going to come up here, and, and as they play, if you know someone that, that needs the love of Jesus and, and you need to be the one that, that helps that love permeate their life, I want you just to come down front and kneel and pray for that person by name. Claim them, call, them, call out their name to God, say, God, this is the person that needs your love, and I want to be the one to tell them about it. If you're a person that needs the love of Jesus, that you're here today and you're one of those people that needs it, I'm going to be standing right over there. And I've got some people I need to pray for, but I'm, almost, I'm not going to kneel today. I'm going to stand right over there. And Donnie is standing right there. Raise your hand, Donnie, so everybody can see you. We're going to be standing right there. And if, you're, if you need the love of Jesus, you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, I want you just to come down and find us. Everybody will be standing up, and you just come down and find us. Let me pray. Father, thank you that your love for us never runs out. Thank you that even though we were sinful people, that you died on the cross for us. That um, that you gave yourself for us. And Father, I pray that 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 will be so real to us. I think sometimes the reason I forget to treat people the way I should and to show your love the way I should is I just get far away from the fact that I was, I'm a dirty sinner that needs you. And I start to believe that I'm better than, I, than others and I, I fool myself. So Father, I pray that um, this morning that all of us who are followers of you would be very aware of the fact that we need your love. And it's because you loved us that we love others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.